Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affect all of us in and out of the ACB community. We are celebrating the life of Charlie Crawford. We have a couple of really special guests to talk about him, and then we're going to open it up for everybody to talk about some remembrances and some tributes. But before we get started, I have a couple of announcements, and we're going to talk to Claire Stanley about ERPS for a few minutes. First and foremost, I just want to thank everybody for the wonderful feedback for the show. Um, I want to spend a, send a special shout out to Jason Castingway and Jeff. Um, Bishop, who have been working very hard to put the podcasting up. You might have heard uh, Pride Connection and Tuesday Topics are already up. Sunday Edition should be up very shortly as a podcast. So thank you to those guys. Sheila is doing our hosting today. Sheila Young, President of Florida. Thank you so much. And Byron Lee, of course, as always, is our engineer. I want to also send a very special thank you and shout out to one of my youngest listeners, Eduardito in Orlando, Florida. He's eight years old and he listens to the show pretty regularly. So, hey, Eddie, if you're out there. (laughs) And I'm going to jump right in and introduce Claire Stanley, advocate extraordinaire. Hi, Claire. Hello. I like that title. I think I might change that on my signature block in my email. Thank you. Well, as um, some people know, we were originally going to do a a two-topic show today that was much different. We were going to talk about your ERPS committee, and um, things changed, and we're going to celebrate Charlie. But I figured we would at least give you the opportunity to explain ERPS and the upcoming events you have in the next uh, two weeks. Claire, take it away. Well, thank you so much. And I will not take a lot of time because um, I myself am really um, sad for the loss of Charlie Crawford and would love to share my um, my memories um, and reminiscence as well. So I will not take up a lot of time, but we do have one of our first ERPS events taking place in just over a week. It's going to be one of our first conference calls. So I'm glad to have this opportunity to just tell you guys what it is. And I can take a step back first and just tell Um, our listeners out there what ERPS is as one of our new steering committees so I can describe that and then describe our first community call that's going to take place on September 29th Tuesday the 29th Um, so if you want Anthony I can just jump in and tell people what the ERPS steering committee is absolutely Great. So in a nutshell, um, when Dan Spoon came in as president, he helped to divide the work of the national office and ACB as a whole into nine steering committees. And the steering committee that I was asked to oversee as the staff member in the national office is information referral and peer support, which I affectionately call ERPS, I-R-P-S. 
Um, and so ERPS, I'll, I'll go over this very briefly because I'm sure many of you heard me talk about the national convention this summer and other places, but ERPS is composed of two priorities, information referral, meaning get people the real basics on uh, things like phone numbers for VR, phone numbers for protection and advocacy offices, just the real raw data that people need when they're trying to get resources. And we're putting that in a database so that when people reach out to ACB, we have it right there at our fingertips. And then the peer support, the second column, as I call it, is getting people to be real peer supports for our members. So, and not even members, people who call into the national office and need assistance. So maybe that might be, you know, you just had your first child and you're a blind parent. How do you um, deal with those issues? Or you just lost your vision and you want to go back to work. Where do you get the services? So we're, we're developing a peer support component as well. So those are kind of the two columns, so to speak, of ERPS, and we're trying to build up this database. Um, so that's what ERPS is, but the reason I'm speaking briefly today on the show is because ERPS is now, like many, many, many components of ACB, starting our very own monthly community call, which we're really excited about. And the kind of the design of these community calls is to offer that information that um, the IR component, the information referral. So we're looking into really timely issues that people would want that data on. And we're gonna have uh, persons present and the people presenting are gonna be real ACB members because that's the point. We want the data coming from our own members and they're gonna talk on timely issues. And then we'll have time as well to open the floor for questions. And then to end those meetings, we are going to open up the floor to find out from our members and our listeners what um, topics they need additional information on. So for September, the month we're in, we're gonna talk about voting because that's extremely timely. And our Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, Clark Rockwell, is gonna be the speaker on voting. So we're looking forward to that. And then in October, we are going to talk about employment, which is very timely because employment is National Disability Employment Awareness Month or ending. And Rosanna from our employment committee is gonna talk about some Title I um, rights and accommodations under the ADA. Um, it'll be the same format, some information referral, then time for questions, and then an open period for people to tell us what information they need. So those are our two kind of um, first meetings that we're going to have to really test the waters and see how they go. We want to hear from you guys on what topics you want us to talk about in months to come. Um, but we're really excited to, to do our community calls and, and get that information out there. And so, um, yeah, we hope you guys come. Like I said, next Tuesday, the 29th at 8 p.m. East Coast time will be the first one. It'll be on the list that Cindy sends out every week so you can get the call-in data. And we're really excited to have people join us. Well, big shout out also to Cindy and her intern, Nat, because they do a great job of putting out not only weekly, but a daily reminder slash schedule email. So with all the information right there, so you can click the link and Sunday editions is uh, included every Sunday. So thank you, Cindy, for all the hard work you do. Thank you, Nat. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to mention real quick that ACB Voices, our new blog, which launched right after convention and then relaunched a harder launch uh, September 1st, is still celebrating Guide Dog Month. And we're also celebrating community calls. So if you've got a great story or a picture of your 
skilled professional or you'd like to talk about how the community calls have affected you, send your story in. We'd love to hear from you. And there's some great stuff up there now. So check it out. Some fun stories. One about my god, Doug Bodie, that I think you'll all enjoy. <laughs> and um, let's get into the heart of today's show. And I don't think that one, two, or even five shows would do justice to a life like Charlie Crawford. But you can also celebrate on Tuesday with Tuesday Topics. And I believe it's next Saturday. There's going to be a virtual memorial. So um, I want to introduce Terry and Frank Pacheco and Penny Reader, along with Claire Stanley, who all had amazing relationships with Charlie. Ladies, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining Sunday Edition today. You're welcome. Yes. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you so much. So why don't we start with Charlie? Tell us a little about him. Sorry. Well, I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of thinking. Well, I'd like to ask Frank to kind of start us off, since technically Frank has known him a little longer than any of us. Absolutely. So, honey. Yes. Can you hear me all right, everyone? Yes. We hear you wonderfully. there? Okay, good. All right. Well, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess I, I've, I've known Charlie um, just a, just a slightly longer than Terry. In fact, I, I remember uh, when, when Terry and I uh, started going out, I, I was really looking forward to, uh, to introducing her to Charlie because, um, you know, I, I, I liked Charlie and had immense respect for him. Uh, he's, he's been committed as long as I uh, knew him to, um, doing what he could, uh, playing what part he could in, in making life, uh, better and, uh, to, uh, blind and, um, uh, visually, uh, uh, limited, uh, people. And, uh, uh, he, uh, uh, what uh, was involved in the, what we called the, what we would call the Blind Leadership Club in uh, in Massachusetts, which was kind of the predecessor to the um, to the Bay State Council, which is because the uh, the Massachusetts affiliate of uh, ACB. And uh, you know he he, and he he was as, as I say very committed to. Uh, to doing whatever he could to to make life better and uh, and more um, and improve the functionality uh, in, of uh, uh, blind and visually limited uh, people, and uh, and he also uh, was uh, a a great social guy. He was uh, you know we, we certainly had some great times, <laughs> and uh, oh my goodness, and 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 Charlie and I, oh my goodness, for years we used to. Just, uh, just enjoy kind of debating each other on various topics. Always ended up uh, uh, the best friends, of course. And uh, but we sometimes had some different views on on, on a few things. <laughs> uh, Very different he, views. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, yes. But but he was uh, he was always uh, just always uh, a, a, a gentleman and uh, and and of course. Uh, uh, a, a very good person and very committed to to, to the things that he uh, that he believed in. Uh, a great person indeed. We've been so fortunate to have him 
these years, and uh, it's so very sad that uh, that we no longer have him. But uh, boy, he uh, he just he just never stopped. He, he just uh, I you know just you, you have to respect him. He just was committed to his to his cause and and uh, honored that commitment uh, uh, daily. I mean, uh, you, you you just you can't say enough. Uh, enough positive about about Charlie Crawford I feel because uh you know he's he's uh, uh you know there aren't a, a, there aren't a lot of us uh, certainly you know in that in that category certainly uh I don't come near him <laughs> uh in in on this, on this but I, but uh, he's a, a great person and and we're so sorry um we're so sorry that he's he's not with us um I think we're very sorry that he's that he's gone. But in in a way, um, I don't, back in 2004, Charlie had a brain aneurysm that burst, and through really a miraculous situation, he was able to be taken care of immediately. And um, we didn't think he was going to make it then, and. He did, and he came back so well from where he was with yeah. that aneurysm that we, I think we've all considered the last 16 years was, were a gift. Truly. Yeah. And it, it, it really was. Going back um, to where that now, – now I'll tell you the real truth. Um, <laughs> in that, yes, Frank knew Charlie – uh, for maybe a, uh, close on to a year before I did. But then I started going out with Frank in January of 1972. So we're talking a long time ago. And uh, we started dating. And one night he, were you three? he asked me. I hmm? said, were you three? <laughs> <laughs> I was a great yeah. child at the time. <laughs> and... Um, one night he asked me if I wanted to go to this BLC. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Um, he said, but I think there's some people there that you would know, that you know, and you might enjoy it. And I really would like you to meet this guy that's running it. And I kind of thought, well, okay, it involves we're going out to dinner afterwards. It's kind of a cheap date, but let's go for it. And um, so I went to my first BLC meeting where I met Charlie and I think the thing you need to remember about BLC, Blind Leadership Club, was there were so many people that were involved in the early years of that organization who later went on to become pretty major players in the American Council of the Blind. The original, um, the original first two sets of office, slates of officers in that organization where Charlie Crawford was president. There was the first year there was a Richard Downs who just pa also just passed away recently, was the vice president. Um, in the second board, I was the vice president. The other two um, were people who, one of whom I know, almost everybody on here knows, was Marlena Lieberg, Phyllis oh. Mitchell, oh. and Kathy Devon. Um, were primarily, we were all the ones who really started that organization, who really worked and started that organization and really got it going. And we got it going because people like Gerwood McDaniel, MJ Schmidt, Mary Ballard, who was the editor of the Braille Forum at that time, 
um, they they took us under their wing. And we were kind of like the next generation is today. There was, we were an interesting group in that I don't think there was anyone over 25 or 30 at the most in that group uh, when we went in, base, in BLC. Um, but they would come periodically. Uh, there's, and just to, to kind of mentor us, um, there's a cassette that I hope the national office still has. That's the last place I knew that it was, um, that Marlena had, I found it after many years, Marlena digitized it, and then we gave it to the national office to duplicate that uh, for anyone who had gotten the book, People of Vision, the history of ACB, um, is actually a, a cassette recording that Derwin McDaniel made late one night of the whole uh, history of the beginning of, you know, the beginning of the end of the, um, the beginning, everything that happened in the 50s and, and early 60, and 60s um, with the separation of ACB, the, the, the formation of ACB and the separation of all of them from NFB. And that's a really interesting one because while the book was written with um, from a lot of from many different perspectives. That tape is actually Derwood McDaniel in his own voice. And so, if anyone um, is ever interested in it, you should probably check with Sharon Lovering. She was the last one I knew that had it. Um, it's been a number of years since I've uh, checked on it or asked about it. Um, I would, I would hesitate. There was just so much that took place then, and so many things that we were all involved in, and it was all because Charlie would get us into this and get us into that. And yes. I'm going to tell you a story because it's yes, Charlie was a lot of fun, but there was a very serious side of Charlie, and and as I say, we were all young, we were learning at that time, and we had an incident, an an, an incident that occurred. I'm going to say around 74 or five something in that area. Um, Charlie and I went out to a meeting out in Worcester, Mass, which is about 50 miles outside of Boston. And it was a weekend um, session. Uh, it was the steering committee in the foundation formation of the uh, Massachusetts Coalition of Citizens with Disabilities, which later melded into the National Coalition of Citizens with Disabilities. And we all worked hard on getting the organization up and running and that during the day. And then we, of course, needed to do a little bit of attitudinal adjustment that evening and, and over dinner. And we ended up back in this very, this young lady's room. She was um, she had a pretty severe case at that time of um, multiple sclerosis. And she was a hot ticket. She was a fun, fun kid. And we, several of us were there and we just were kind of doing a typical room party. At the end, she said, Terry, would you wait outside? And Charlie, would you stay for a couple of minutes? And it was like, and oh, and asked me to hold Charlie's dog, Patsy, who was his first guide dog, who was a character and a half. That's another whole story. And so I said, okay. <laughs> and so Patsy and I waited out in the hall, and after about five or ten minutes, Charlie came out with tears in his eyes. 
and he just grabbed me and we hugged for the longest time. He said, "We need. I need a drink. He said, let's go someplace. We got to talk. What it was, was that Robin had asked him to stay because she was not able to transfer from her wheelchair into her bed. And she asked him if he, if he, if he would put her into her bed. And I think that's what, I think that had such a profound effect on Charlie that he just from then on was very, very interested in the whole cross disability field in, you know, really. And I think it opened, opened him up even more to people with all kinds of disabilities. And I know we sat and talked probably two hours after that, that night, um, just on, you know, we might think that blindness is a pain in the ass, but it's not, sometimes it's not the worst of the disabilities. No. And I think that that really was kind of an, an, an eye-opening experience for both of us, but especially for Charlie. And, um, but we had a lot of other, you know, we had a lot of good times in 76, Otis Stevens gotten had come to Boston. He was, uh, he's a former president of ACB as well. He was um, on a fellowship at Harvard. And uh, that's kind of when we switched over to Bay State Council. And Charlie was still very involved in that. Rick Morin was just telling me the other day that he has a copy of the original, um, oh, what do you call it? Articles of Incorporation. And Charlie's on that. I know we have the original constitution of the Blind Leadership Club in that, and Charlie was the head of that. Um, he really was a force to reckon with, as Anthony um, had in his message, in his advertisement for today's show. Um, and he later on went on to be the head of the CAP, the Client Assistance Project in Massachusetts. And then in 1984, we got a... Um, for some reason, something's echoing back at me here. I know. I'm, you know what? Let me try turning down my speakers and see if that gets rid of it. In 1984, I got a phone call one day, and um, it was from Charlie. And it was one of the best best news we had heard in years. Um, mm -hmm. He called. He said, Terry, I've just been appointed commissioner of the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind, and they need, we're putting out a press release, because this was back in the days before the internet, he said, so they wanted some, uh, two people to, a couple of uh, people who know something about me um, to put in the media, for the media outlets, so you might be getting a phone call from the Boston Globe or something, but you probably won't, which we never did actually get a call. Um, but I, that was when he became commissioner of the Mass Commission for the Blind and started so many programs through MCB for people to get involved. Charlie was such a guru um, back in those days in DOS uh, and, the, and in the whole electronics virgining field at that time. Um, he started programs to get equipment out to people um, so that, you know, because we're talking back before the ADA and reasonable accommodations and all of that kind of thing, that if he could get a whole, get his hands on a piece of equipment that somebody could use in order to get a job, it was out to them. 
that kind of thing. Um, there was just so much of that that went on. And I'm going to take a break at this point and um, let somebody I, else take over because I've been talking way too long, I know. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I had the pleasure of, of speaking with Charlie twice, and it, he strikes me uh, struck me as the kind of person who just knew so much about so much. But I want to shift focus for a moment and go to Claire, because it seems to me from all that I've heard researching for this show that Charlie never stopped mentoring that, you know, that initial group of young fired up people that really needed to make changes and, and effectively made some amazing uh, progress forward, but he never seemed to stop mentoring. And Claire, I know you had that kind of relationship with him. So could you tell us a little bit about your relationship with Charlie? Yeah, I uh, thank you so much, Anthony. Um, I feel so blessed that I had such a great experience um, learning from Charlie over the years. Um, but specifically, when I graduated from law school in 2015, um, I moved out to the D.C. area for work. And I was looking for housing and what was I going to do and figuring that, you know, that stage of my life. And I reached out to Sue Crawford and said, you know, I'm looking for a place to stay. And do you have any suggestions? And without dropping a beat, Sue and Charlie said, come and live with us. You know, we opened door policy, um, which was amazing. And just I think that just really shows who Charlie and Sue are and um, the giving heart there. And so. I got to live um, at what we call the Royal Crawfordian, um, <laughs> the Crawford House. And um, just for a year, just being able to spend literally every night at the dinner table learning from Charlie, just so much wisdom and so much expertise. Um, I feel like we sat at that, that dining table for hours every night talking about what was going on in politics and the advocacy world and the blind community. And I know I learned so much from Charlie. Um, about what he had done over the decades and then what he was doing currently on all the different boards he had he was sitting on um, a lot of the advocacy in the transportation space that he was really passionate about um, that I was really passionate about as well so um, just always there to share his wisdom um, Sue and I always teased him because even at eight o'clock at night we'd sit at the the dining table and he would drink his black coffee and you know most of us at eight o'clock at night would drink <laughs> yeah. a cup of black coffee we'd never sleep all night but he would sit there with his cup of coffee um wouldn't drop the and just would sit there and talk about everything going on and I just know I learned so much from him every night at that, that dining table so um such an amazing experience and I'll be forever thankful for that and I'm sure that all the beautiful work you do is informed and inspired through that relationship. So thank you so much for thank sharing that much. with us. Yeah. Penny. Always loved to hey. chat at the dining room table. That's uh, what I was going to say. Uh, Terry and Frank and I and my husband, Carl, and some of our kids, Seth, too, spent many evenings and many weekends around that wonderful dining table and we will always miss it we will always miss charlie um uh, charlie was uh, a wonderful advocate and he was also a wonderful person i never knew charlie to be mean-spirited to anyone ever um he was welcoming of anyone who needed help or wanted to ask a question or needed more information um, 
And whenever I meet other people in the disability uh, community, not necessarily blind people, but people with all kinds of disabilities, um, they always ask me about Charlie. They, we, it always comes back to Charlie Crawford. Um, I didn't meet Charlie until uh, there was an opening for a new editor of the Braille Forum in 1990, um, what was it, 99? And um, I, uh, I met him um, on the ACB list, the old ACBL, which was really much like a family. That list was a wonderful list. And that's where I first started noticing this person, Charlie Crawford, who always had such insightful things to say about any topic that was going on. And then the job came open and I went to um, LA for the interview. And that's really the first time I met Charlie. And then I got the job and Terry and I started working for ACB on exactly the same day and discovered we had so much in common that we became best friends from then on and forever. Um, and um, it was such a pleasure to work with Charlie at ACB. I think we accomplished so much while Paul was president and Charlie was executive director. Um, we wrote the pedestrian safety handbook with the help of Debbie Grubb. Um, we worked on the rehab principles of good rehabilitation, which if the rehab community would adopt those principles today, we would all be so much better off. Uh, we worked on uh, audio description, and, um, really got that started, got improved briefly until there were lawsuits that delayed it for a while. Um, and the best thing that Charlie did was he kept ACP informed. Every week, at least once a week, he would send out a column of news notes and tell everyone in ACP what was happening at the office. And they weren't dry and boring. He would share jokes and tell little personal anecdotes. And people loved Charlie's news notes. And uh, it's a great way for any leader to communicate with an organization. Um, I, we will really miss Charlie. I, my husband and I were saying for 20 years, we have spent at least some time every weekend, either on the phone or with Charlie and Sue Crawford and Terry and Frank. And uh, life will not be the same for us. But we are so blessed that we knew him. And uh, we got to learn from him. And we got to remember great stories. I'm sure some of which we'll hear later on. Um, and we'll always smile when we think of Charlie, even through our tears. So thank you, Anthony, for doing this show. It's a wonderful thing you're doing. Thank you for participating, absolutely. You know, Sharon Lovering does an amazing job at the Borough Forum, but I've heard some wonderful things about your time with the Borough Forum, Penny. So thank you for fun. that. It was fun. Thank you, Charlie, for having brought Penny and Terry into the folds. Anthony, 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 I don't know if you want to take it, but you do have a hand raised. Uh, let's wait one more moment. I okay. want to just um, give the panelists a chance to give us claire talked about coffee but and sitting at the at the table with a wonderful conversation but if you guys could pick one beautiful moment that really describes who charlie was uh you know one memory and maybe we could go backwards we'll start with uh, penny and then claire frank and terry and then we'll open it up for everyone to tribute and share well, I'm going to remember how supportive of Charlie, Charlie was of, of us, of his staff. Um, 
there was a movement within ACB to uh, kind of take some privileges away from ACB staff members. Uh, some people thought that we shouldn't be members of ACB as well and um, thought that they, uh, we shouldn't have the right to a private vote. And Charlie stood up at the convention and really put everything on the line by saying he would never not support the staff who worked so hard for ACB. And he talked about how everyone in the organization should appreciate all the work we were doing for them. And um, there were other wonderful moments in Charlie's life, but that was a really brave thing for him to do. And all of us really appreciated it. Um, I think one of my favorite memories of Charlie, and there are so many, but one thing I just loved was his sense of humor. Um, such corny jokes he would tell, but it always made me smile. For someone who worked so hard and was so passionate for everything he did, he just really had a, a fun heart and you know, a humorous side to him. Um, I personally really liked silly, corny jokes, and he always had one on hand after work to offer, and it just always brought a smile to myself, to my face. So now when I hear those funny jokes, I definitely will think of Charlie. So Charlie loved all the third grade jokes, all the yes. Alexa jokes. Charlie loved every one of them. Yes, he did. <laughs> I, I want to just say one more thing about Charlie, and uh, the reason I got involved with Sky Dogs at all was because of Charlie and his wonderful guide dog, Ruthie. And we worked together at the ACB office back then. And uh, Ruthie was really like the poster child for guide dog. She was a perfect dog. Um, and Charlie was so encouraging when I was thinking about applying and was one of my references and was the person I went to when I was a new guide dog user and I had questions or problems. I could always turn to Charlie. And uh, I, I've always appreciated that so much. And Frank, it's sorry. It's so hard to pick one, but yeah. I think I'm gonna say that Charlie was so involved in so many areas, but one that he got incredibly involved in um I can do this without crying. I know I can. <laughs> that he got very, very involved in is tactile warning strips. And the reason why, the, what really hit, him, hit home to him and to so many of us was when Peggy Kingman McCarthy was a dear friend of ours as a matter of fact, she's the one that got Frank and I to go out together. Um, when she was killed in a in an accident, uh, from an accident when her when she fell into a subway pit in Massachusetts, and died from her injuries from that. And I think many of us may remember some of the speeches that Charlie, absolutely impassioned speeches, that Charlie gave throughout the country. I remember Marlena had it um, replayed it a few times on her various ACB shows in the past and that that it was something that it hit all of us so hard because it was someone we knew, but then it was also, there were other people that it was happening to and Charlie just took that on as such a challenge. And the speeches that the, the, the work that he did and the speeches and the testimonies and that, that 
took place for tactile warning strips in subways. I just hope that we all remember him every time we encounter one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Charlie, yeah. yeah. Charlie gave. But I, uh, but to, to bring things up, to bring it up a little bit, a little bit happier. Back in oh I don't know maybe in the uh, around seventy four or so, we developed an excellent rapport because one of the other things he was involved very very into it back then was audio description, and we um, developed he developed for us a very good rapport with WGBH in Boston, and who was one of the leading audio describers describing organizations for many many years. And they actually, we actually had them, got them to do an audio description of a children's program. I think it was called Jabberwocky or something like that. Back in about 1974, I'd say roughly, they would do it. And so then whenever you talk to Charlie after that, he would totally mimic all of the characters in that program. <laughs> that sounds like Charlie. He, just, he could find humor in almost anything and find a serious purpose to almost anything. Yeah. yeah. When we finally got video description approved um, while we while Charlie was executive director, he uh, one of the first things he ever watched was the children's program, Clifford the Big Red Dog. And he used to put messages on the ACBL list Talking about how much he enjoyed Clifford the the big red dog, and it was just really funny. We we all just so enjoyed Charlie. He would watch back then when there wasn't much video description. He would watch anything that was described, anything, um, and he was so appreciated it. And really, we owe Charlie so much because of uh, that kind of enthusiasm, yeah, which yeah. he communicated to everybody who advocated for audio description. Frank? Uh, well, uh, yeah, you, you folks have, uh, uh, Penny and uh, Terry and Claire uh, brought us some uh, some great stuff. And uh, boy, I uh, I sure remember uh, that awful scene. Um, for Peggy. And uh, Charlie, Charlie was a person of, uh, of, you know, just when he felt something, well, he felt a lot of things strongly and uh, he acted on them. And uh, I think uh, uh, as has been mentioned, anyone who, when they encounter tactile warning strips, <laughs> it's probably to Charlie's credit. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, <clears throat> that, uh, Charlie was just, that kind of person, when he believed something needed to be done or uh, advocated for, he got there and did it and just wouldn't stop until he accomplished uh, what he needed to accomplish. Uh, great. Wow. Uh, when when great. Charlie went into the hospital, he was calling um, the president of our local ACB chapter to talk about a letter that he had written and we were sending as a group to um, the county uh, transportation authority about all these floating bus stops which are emerging in, in the county where we live. And um, I mean, he was in the hospital because he was sick. And 
the thing on his mind was making sure that the right people got this letter and got, got to know about the issue and start working on getting rid of floating bus stops and other pedestrian safety hazards. So he never stopped. And even after he left ACB, he became involved on like every disability committee or commission that's available in the state of Maryland. And everyone in Maryland knew and loved Charlie Crawford. Yeah, yeah. I think all of us that, you know, are coming up now owe a huge, huge thank you and wonderful, you know, just a thank you for, for all the years of passionate work, advocacy and, and all the achievements. So from on behalf of, you know, next gen and BPI and students and those of us who are just a little too old to be actual next geners, but thank you, you know, and absolute wonderful condolences and, and bring all of our love to Sue and the family. So I think if it's okay, we'll start opening up for our callers to also say some wonderful words and some tributes. Sheila, who do we have first? Philip Strong, you may unmute. Oh, Phil. Uh, I think I am. I am I unmuted. Yes, I you are. are. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Good enough. I um. I actually came on to ACB as a mentor through an international internship program. Well, not program, but position that Charlie had had arranged, and I came down from Canada, and that's where I'm calling from now, Newfoundland, Canada, and I had the opportunity to work with Charlie and. Terry and Penny and and so many other wonderful people down there who are still all wonderful friends, as is his wife, Sue. I was actually talking to Charlie. Uh, it was probably just a couple of days before he went in hospital. And I mean, he I ended up living with him for that six month internship. And he hired me back on and did a lot of work to get me back down with uh, visas and things. And and I came back down and I spent a number of years in working with Charlie and ACB. And he was an amazing boss, an amazing mentor, and an even more, even more amazing friend. Um, and the reason I have a seeing eye dog now is because of Charlie and, well, and Ruth, Ruthie. Because <laughs> he, 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 had, he had Ruthie when I, was, when I was there. So I have a Wonka now because of it. Um, I know I can't say enough for Charlie or about Charlie for what he what he did for me and what he's done for so many other places and you know his reaches he's far reaching his his efforts even up here in Canada. Thank you. Thank you. Scott Marshall, you may unmute. Welcome back to the show, Scott. Hello. Thanks for allowing me to be here. Um, along with Charlie's closest friends and colleagues. I have many memories of him and I wanted to share a couple. Sure. Um, he was committed to civil rights for everyone, regardless of whether it was a living wage, LGBT rights, disability rights, there wasn't a week that would go by that he wouldn't send out an email to his friends saying, oh, you've got to sign this petition. <laughs> and, and here's how to do it. 
action <laughs> action was Charlie's middle name. And I can only believe that in heaven at this very moment, there's a discussion going on about who's going to handle civil rights at the grassroots level and at the policy level and at all <laughs> levels. And can you imagine just thinking about all the colleagues that he now has working on these things? Numerous ACB members like Marlena Lieberg and others, too many to mention, but even luminaries like Ed Kennedy and John Lewis, and of course, the notorious RBG. <laughs> and bear with me for a minute, Anthony, I'll, I'll get to how RBG is so relevant to Charlie. Please. I read in this morning's Times Magazine a number of quotes from her, uh, from articles they had done over the years. And as you may know, um, she was married to her beloved uh, Marty for 53 years. Yep. And she said that in one of the quotes that she got some good advice from her mother-in-law that the secret to a good marriage, and then she said, I also applied this in the workplace, is that once in a while, you have to be a little deaf. <laughs> well, you know, I think Charlie had to be a little deaf once in a while too. He led ACB through some very difficult times. Penny alluded to that earlier. And RBG said that if you get angry, because of an unkind remark or because of an issue, you lose or you may lose your ability to persuade and change. Yeah. It's not a direct quote, but it's pretty close to it. And that was Charlie. I never knew him to get angry about anything. He always just calmly carried on. And I'm sure he had to be a little deaf in order to be able to do that. <laughs> So uh, thanks very much for allowing me to, to join you today. Thank you so much for joining us, Scott. That was beautiful. And we should definitely take a moment to just pay the respect deserved and due to RBG, who in her last moments <laughs> prayed that her replacement would be chosen after the uh, transition of power and let's all take a moment to just pray that that happens to be the truth but sheila next is, is someone with the last three phone number 517 please unmute this is mary beth metzger hi mary um, beth thank you hi thanks thanks for allowing me to speak also uh, Charlie and I spent many happy and a few unhappy hours working on projects related to GDUI. Um, in the process, Charlie and Sue and I became good friends. I just would like to share two quick stories from the 2019 Rochester, Rochester Convention, which partially uh -huh. illustrate why so many people are vir virtually gathered here to remember Charlie both before and during the convention, and Penny, you'll remember this, of course, yeah. when she was off harness, I, I offered Raisin the opportunity to uh, come and live in Albany with Foster and me. And as Charlie was being wheeled onto the ambulance, I, I 
I told him that I was holding Raisin, and I asked if it was okay if I helped care for her. And Charlie, Charlie quips back, only if you promise not to keep her. <laughs> and in a moment of weakness, I promised. <laughs> Several days later, Charlie was released from the hospital about noon. Instead of resting in his, his hotel room, he headed almost directly to the GDY luncheon because he wanted to honor the individuals who, who were receiving awards. And if I strive to demonstrate grace and humor under pressure, and if I work to honor my colleagues, even at the expense of my own inconvenience, perhaps someday someone will recognize these traits in me and attempt to imitate them. And the legacy continues. These examples are only one small part of the legacy left to all of us by Charlie Crawford. We each have a part to share. That's why we're here. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Anthony, can I just add she one thing? Sure. Um, when we all can get on our planes with our dogs and not be harassed by the air, airline staff and sit where we want and not be harassed by snappy little dogs who are pretend service animals, we will owe Charlie Groff Crawford a big debt of gratitude. Because Charlie was the head of GDY's advocacy committee uh, while I was president, and he was a marvelous advocate. Uh, people would call Charlie with all kinds of problems. I remember one guy who was um, had to evacuate from the fires a couple years ago in California, and he called Charlie, and Charlie helped him deal with the motel owner who wouldn't let him have a room because he had a guide dog. Charlie was a wonderful advocate in so many situations, but especially, too, for GDY. Thank you. Pat Sheehan, you may unmute. Hey, this is Pat Sheehan. Bill, it's good to hear your voice. Welcome, Pat. Thank you. It's, it's great, great to hear the stories of Charlie. Um, I think like everybody else had so many stories. Um, Charlie, uh, I worked in the area of transportation along with Phil, and uh, we did a lot of work at WMATA. And Charlie, <laughs> I was... He leaned on me to make sure we got those truncated domes in Washington, D.C., so that individuals within Washington, D.C. wouldn't be falling over the edge at the platform uh, area tracks. And uh, he was very tenacious about that. And because of his leadership in that area, um, we were able to get that accomplished. And uh, Charlie actually has been <clears throat> was on the committee that I chaired for a while and I'm still on and as a uh, participant and he was highly respected by that committee. It's kind of funny how um, there was a time when we were starting to study which type of system we should put in, whether we should put in the domes or these this infrared system that had been <clears throat> shared with us with the NFB and they had an <laughs> along the edge of the platform and uh, Charlie had called me up and he was kind of concerned about how we were going to uh, get one system installed over the other. So I basically indicated to Charlie that we had that all set up, that we were going to watch the um, system as it worked. But what we really ended up doing was standing in front of the infrared signals so that when the access board who was testing the system behind us tried to use... <laughs> 
So, of course, Charlie Crawford at the time was a big Star Trek fan. And so I just said, we, we cheat. It was Kobayashi Maru. Uh, <laughs> you, uh, we just sort of doctored the text a little bit. But uh, Charlie liked the end result. And, uh, you know, we were, we were very pleased to get that in. Charlie, you're right, Penny. Charlie would, called me up the day he went in the hospital. And he said, oh, he said, uh, he said, you know, what about that letter? Did you make any changes? I said, oh, we had to put our names at the bottom of the letters. And he interrupted me and he said, that's right. We need to talk to them about getting this letter uh, with our email addresses so they can get these. We can talk to the county executives, which was very important to him. Two hours later, Charlie was in the ICU on a ventilator. He partially recovered from that, but he was in, even at that point, Charlie was on the ball doing his advocating work. And he always made sure that those of us that he tasked to do the work, <laughs> were getting the work done. Um, <laughs> he, he was to oh, yes. but, but he was so much fun to work with. Uh, and Frank, to you, I think one of the, one of the Charlie's happiest moments was 19, uh, 2004 when the Red Sox finally won the World Series. <laughs> he stayed up. He stayed up. Uh, he stayed up. He uh, and watched every single game. Um, you know, I asked Charlie, who was a big Jack Kennedy fan, and I asked Charlie the secret of, uh, of leadership, and he quoted um, to me back to me. He said. Patrick, it's about less profile and more courage. And so he did enjoy quoting Jack. Um, Charlie is a, as, and I think I'll end with this. We hear stories about his effectiveness in ACB, but that same kind of effectiveness was the same thing that we saw in all the committees that he worked on, whether it was the rehab committee or the transportation committee that, you know, where he sat down and, and gave advice, people would look up his um, profile, you know, when they were talking to him like on, uh, through Google or whatever, understanding the kind of person they were talking to. But one thing that came through with everybody, people that knew him well and people that just met him, is that he cared about people and valued yeah. who they were made them feel important, made them feel like they were part of the family. He, he had no ego when that was concerned because it was all about the people and he could make you feel like a million bucks, you know, um, when you were sitting down talking to him. I, I, I've been around the dining table at the Royal Crawfordian and I agree, it was, those were special moments. Yeah, I wasn't but, even... I wasn't yeah. even a member of ACB at the Rochester. I became a member at the Rochester convention, yeah. but um, he was a, a extremely gracious and welcoming and folding person. So thanks. So and he and thank you, Pat. Great. Go ahead, Anthony, Anthony, he yes. always wanted to work together. He oh, yeah. always, you know, the, the po politicians will say how they cross the aisle and hands across the aisle and all that. But Charlie really, really, really did want to do that and was fairly successful in a lot of times with it. Um, one time 
but he wasn't terribly was uh, many years ago. Um, he wanted he really wanted the Massachusetts NFB affiliate and the ACB affiliates to work together. And unofficially, we we did. Unofficially, he he saw to it that that happened. Um, but when he went to, he wanted to. Uh, it was at the time when Ken Jornigan was uh, do, put out this whole condemnation of ACB and that you couldn't belong to both organizations and all of this, and that so bothered him that to 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 try and isolate people. And I know he talked to Frank was in the NFB at the time. Uh, he was on the board of the Boston chapter. And he asked Frank to get him some time on the state convention floor. Uh, and Frank did. He got him, he got permission for him to speak at the at that state convention. And I think a lot of people really, I know afterward, so many people, they got the idea that we do need to work together and that we can work together. Unfortunately, their national representative shouted them down on the floor and it was a huge circus. Um, and they went against the, their original vote uh, because of the pressure that was, that was put on them. But he so worked together and he continued to do that. You know, sometimes it might have been a little in the, in the back streets and such, but I know, I remember a couple of different times when we, we used to meet for uh, dinner a lot in the, like in the 90s and such um, at this steakhouse up in Cambridge. And I remember him coming in one night and he says, I had quite a, quite a visit this afternoon with, uh, you know, with Mark Maurer or with Ken Jernigan or, or who it was, because he always worked to try and, and make, give us a uniform, a, a united um, Unified. A, a view of, of, of issues and to, and to look at both sides of various and sundry issues. Those meetings were so successful too because he always injected humor into a situation. He could always diffuse a situation and you just really liked him. You know, even if you didn't agree with the thing he was for, I, I don't think there was ever anyone, hardly ever anyone, no one I knew very well, who just didn't really like him and just mm. love that kind of approach to life. You know, let's diffuse the situation. Let's see where we can get along. Let's see how we can agree. Let's find a compromise if we need, if we can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have no other, hand, no other hands, Anthony. Okay. So tell me, a little bit about his tenure in ACB. What do you, um, besides the the warning strips and the, the domes, what else stands out about his time with ACB? Audio description. Um, the rehab principles, the principles of, you know, that consumers have choice and we need all the information available when we're applying for rehab services, and then it's up to us to decide what's best for us. He was so passionate about that. And when I first met Charlie about within a month, Carrie and I uh, were tasked with interviewing Fred Schroeder, who was then uh, the commissioner of rehab services. And Charlie prepared me for that meeting and helped me figure out what questions to ask. And by the time he and I were finished with that, 
45 minutes of preparation, I was so committed to consumer choice that I don't think a day went by for the next five years when I didn't talk about it. So, hey Penny, this is Pat again. Can I Fred, so, so he, he, you know, he could, uh, he had to agree with us as well. He was very kind to us when we went for that interview. He was, was indeed. Fun. Yeah. He told me how to use a super long white cane. I <laughs> and he laughed the whole time. And I had gone because at that time I was very involved in. Uh, I actually, I think I was the editor of the Vendor Scope for the Randolph Shepard Vendors of America, and Charlie and RSVA had worked on what was called the Call for Action, and um, and. So I had. That's why Penny and I went together on that, and he and. He just was, it was just, a, it was a delightful afternoon, um, you know, that, and, and we were just given, Charlie had gotten it set up and it was, you can have as long as you want. I think we were there for, didn't we, we talk like forever. two and a half hours At or least. something? Yeah, we were. And Could we, you guys tell us a little bit about Charlie and Sue together? Oh, they sure. adore each other. They do adore each other. I mean, they just totally adore each other. They do. And, you know, Claire mentioned the Royal Crawfordian. <laughs> um, that actually, there's been a lot of us who have stayed there. When I first, yes. when I first came down, uh, when Charlie first called me and asked me if I would be consider coming down to Washington to take the position of affiliate services coordinator, which was a different job than, than Cindy's is now. It was, some of that was in it, but it involved um, working very, very closely with the, for instance, on the national convention. Uh, back in those days, about the only thing that Minneapolis did with the convention was handle the money. Um, we, uh, the generally, the chair of the convention committee and I um, worked very closely together. Uh, and at that time, it was John Horst, and then followed by uh, Leroy Saunders, who. Was Leroy Saunders was a past president of ACB, and I to this day miss Leroy. He was a wonderful, oh, yeah. wonderful man. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope John. I, I understand John is still doing fairly well up in Pennsylvania. But and we ran the legislative seminar and put all of that together, and the president's meetings, and there was just a lot that went on. And the national office was a very different place then than it is now. We had a staff of I think twelve or thirteen. Something yeah. like yeah. that, because we had Bill doing advocate, doing the advocacy, and Melanie was doing governmental affairs, and um, and they had the, we had a sister, Krista and Barbara. And I'm yeah. sorry, they had assistants, like Krista and Barbara. And yeah, that's what I was gonna say, Barbara. Yeah, Barbara was doing all the information referral and updating the and updating the information for the website at that time. We had a fabulous office manager, um, yeah. Ann Fesh. Ann Fesh oh, was, wow. she was great. Um, Sharon was Penny's assistant. Cindy, her sister Cindy was Charlie's. Mine was Patricia. And Patricia. Yeah, and, and mm -hmm. you know, and then Phil was there. There was, it was, it was a busy, busy place back in those, and not that it isn't busy today. I don't mean to take anything away from today, but it's, it's, a, it was a different setup altogether at that time. Anthony, you have a hand. Sure. Pat, I am I unmuted now. Yes, sir. Yes. You know, one of the things, and and I agree. I I used to go up. 
I worked down the street from the national office. I used to go up and, and uh, uh, go up there and meet with Charlie, grab coffee and have coffee with Penny, sneak out of the office, all that kind of stuff. I could do it. <laughs> but um, one of the things that I think uh, I always felt back in those days that they, as Penny said, they had some amazing programs. You had a special feeling with the leadership at that time. Uh, Charlie Crawford and Paul Edwards were magical. They, they made it feel like Camelot. They, they were able to articulate a vision and communicate a vision out to individuals and get the rank and file to believe in that vision and wanna work that vision. That is very special. And I think that's one of the reasons why you know, with speeches from Paul, with leadership and speeches from Charlie, communication and everything else that went along at that time, that was, that was a great era. And that's why those four programs that Penny mentioned, um, they're still successful. They've grown. Uh, they've sort of become uh, some of the bedrock of, uh, of what we're doing. I think the only one, Penny, we haven't gotten uh, going is the uh, currency, right? That was we're still trying. It's uh, what, and uh, what I, I think like, I'm one of the long original plaintiffs. 12 on years that. or something else, yeah. 16 years, yeah. You know, so we went to the moon and back, and a few things like that. <laughs> won a couple of uh, Red Sox won a couple of championships, and the uh, Patriots won six Super Bowls. Was it Frank? I think, <laughs> and ACB <laughs> was back in court last Friday, still trying to, right? I, I, I saw that, but you know, all. I think there's a, a lot that has to be, a lot of credit needs to be given back to the people, all those people that were mentioned, uh, to Charlie Crawford being able to uh, feel a vision, Paul Edwards for being able to articulate a vision. Sue Crawford, particularly when Charlie had his aneurysm, was tenacious. She fought for him during that time. Mm -hmm. Back, she was always and has always been on his always that is a beautiful marriage all right it was i remember here, when here. they got married and i they got married i think it was in 1986 84 i think it was 1986 they got married we all just took them we all went out to dinner um but when i say we all there was one of the things charlie had had uh started in back then was the um Mass Commission for the Blind Bulletin Board was back in the early days of internet. And there were several hundred people that were on that. And I think there were about 40 of us all got together one night at Frank's Steakhouse in North Cambridge. We were we had our own table at Frank's in those days. And we had about 30 or 40 of us went and um, just to celebrate their marriage because they were such a great couple together. And mm -hmm. there was Susan was so has always been so supportive of Charlie, mm -hmm. and Charlie they they truly truly have a great they've they have had a great love affair, um, a great love story uh, through the years. And as Pat says, she was like a mother mother bear, um, mama bear, yeah, yeah, the mama bear. Um, after the with his aneurysm and through all of the years of rehab and everything after that and i don't think there's anyone that i know who really respected charlie more than susan no 
and oh. she was always very open to everyone. That's what I started to say before when I came down here. It all happened very, very quickly, and I needed to be down here inside of two weeks or something. Um, and so that was Susan's immediate thing was come down and stay with us. I lived there for three months. Phil lived there. Claire lived there. Everybody that came to came to town at some point or another stayed at the Crawfords, the Royal Crawfordian. Um, it was, you know, they've just yeah. been very, very open to everyone for so many years. Sorry Some of my this. friends, after I lived in Silver Spring with them for a year, my friends in Silver Spring became familiar with, with Sue and, and Charlie. And uh, I would always get texts from my friends saying, I spotted them walking together downtown. And that was my favorite thing to hear there. Both most recent guide dogs are black Labradors. So you'd see Sue and Charlie both with black Labradors walking, you know, next to each other in downtown Silver Spring. And that always brought a smile to my face, just picturing them truly in love walking downtown together. Yeah, that's true. Well, Terry, Frank, Penny, I, I hope you can bring to Sue our love and, and um, respect and, and love and just that we wanted to celebrate today. And you guys, um, many people have mentioned Paul. It, it's notable, I said at the top of the show, and I want to say it again, that one show, two show, five shows would never be enough for Tuesday Topics with Paul. You, you guys will have an opportunity. Everybody out there listening will have an opportunity to hear Paul's perspective. And, and I'm sure there'll be some great conversation about Charlie on Tuesday Topics as well. Um, and there's a memorial service that they're planning for the first Saturday of October, if I'm correct, right, Terry? Um, that's what I hear. Yes, Bay State Council is going to be doing a memorial service um, that at 10 o'clock on the first, I think that's the 3rd of October, it's the first Saturday, um, to honor Charlie and Bob Hache, and I think there are two other people that have passed away this year in Bay State. Um, that they will also be honoring as well. The other thing is um, next Saturday at 10.30, and I will, I'll have information for it on the visibilities call and perhaps before that, we'll put it out in some places. Um, Charlie's funeral service is, is private. It's only family, the whole COVID thing um, and such. Uh, is next Saturday the 26th, but it will be streamed by the funeral home. And so we'll put out the link for that stream once I have it. Thank you for that. And on a, a lighter note, just a plug for the first Sunday, the 4th of October, Frank and Terry are going to come back to Sunday edition for my October couples show. That should be a lot of fun. And we can dive into the summer of marriages. Um, <laughs> a little bit of a sneak peek for that. But um, Sheila, do we have anyone? Um, no, sir. Waiting? Nope. Not at all. All right. So let's, um, let's go a little bit different route and talk about Charlie's young, you know, early years. Where did he grow up? How did he become involved in the fights or not fight the secession to bring ACB to, to become ACB? Terry, Frank, can you give us a little bit about early Charlie? 
Uh, I can give you some. Yeah. Um, Charlie spent a good bit of his childhood. Charlie's parents, uh, his father was originally from New Hampshire and his mother was originally from Puerto Rico. Thank you. I remember it was Cuba or Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. My mind yeah. was going blank um, from Puerto Rico. And he spent about 10 years of his youth uh, in Puerto Rico. And so Charlie was uh, quite uh, bilingual. Um, Charlie was a twin. Uh, his brother Manny passed away a few years ago. Um, but what was kind of the funny thing about the thing that people often noticed who met them uh, together was they were the most opposite, physically, the <laughs> most opposite pair of yeah. twins you could ever encounter. <laughs> Charlie was the white Anglo-Saxon um, appearing tall, very fair. And Manny was the short, um, very dark. Um, he had the black hair, the brown eyes, the whole nine, the the whole thing that they they you just never would have guessed that they were brothers, much less twins. Wow. But they were both. And Manny was a uh, was a policeman down in uh, Florida. In Miami. Florida, yeah, I can't think of the name of the town right now, but Surfside, I think it was mm. Florida. Um, really, really nice person. Um, I remember I used to go down to Florida every year. Uh, when my my parents were uh, snowbirds and my sister and I would drive their car down and back and we'd go and visit if Charlie, especially Charlie and Sue were down to something, we'd all get together somewhere in between and have a fun night. And Manny was, Manny, Manny in a lot of ways, their personalities were a lot alike. They were both very into helping other people and they both had great senses of humor. Um, their mother was, she was a character. We, I think all of us, Phil, Penny, and I all have great stories about his mother. Uh, oh, she Julia. Was, he was wonderful. Julia. She was so much fun. And um, so he, and then he came up to, uh, he also lived for a while in New Hampshire. Um, he lived for a short time in New Mexico when they were very young children, but um and there's a great funny story about them running around in diapers and getting out onto the street one time. But um, I don't honestly, I, I don't remember it well enough. I just remember Charlie telling a group of us at a, at a meeting one time all about it. Um, then Charlie uh, came to Massachusetts to uh, go to Boston University. And... Uh, Everything else, I think most of you know from there, he um, he had uh, a really good, um, you know, his personal life was his personal life. And his, uh, that was, you know, one of the things about Charlie that he was very good at was, um, and he and I used to do it a lot, the seven, the, the years that we worked together, was we could keep, you could keep a professional you know, the nine to five professional and the nine to five and then the five to nine personal side. Um, it was one of the things that I just always, you know, we never really talked about it, but we tended to 
automatically keep those two parts somewhat separate. I mean, I wouldn't, when Charlie did something that drove me crazy, I wouldn't tell him that he was a jerk between nine and five. But trust me, at 5.05, he'd hear it. Um, <laughs> kind of thing. And the same thing held true in reverse. You yeah. know, he would, uh, he'd say, do you really think that, you know, it's such and so um, at work? And then on the way home, he'd be, how could you come up with such crazy idea? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, how did, oh, how did those you <laughs> Anyone else have any on the early years? I've just. How did him and Sue meet? He loved parties. I know that we had more than a few. Frank would oh. Frank would bar the door, and when it was time to go home, and Charlie would the two of them would argue over whether Charlie should leave or could leave or not. <laughs> um. Terry, how did Frank and, uh, uh, excuse me, how did um, Charlie and Sue meet? They, uh, Sue worked at the, they both worked at the Commission for the Blind. She, um, and then she left when he became commissioner um, so that it wouldn't have any kind of appearance of a conflict. She left and went to work as a fair hearings officer for the Department of Social Services. But they, they originally knew each other at work. Wow. And in the early days, he was instrumental in building the um, the structure of what ACB is now, correct? Um, he was in the early structure of the ACB state affiliate, not really in what ACB was okay. at that time, because that's going back 10 years earlier. The, the early part of ACB goes back to 1961, the late 50s and early 60s. And he wasn't that old. <laughs> um, gotcha. He he you know he wasn't really um, we as I say we he never really got involved until about nineteen seventy or seventy one I think it was actually um, so it was yeah it it was a lot of good times back then. Um, Charlie's first marriage was one of those summer of seventy three marriages. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. Um, you know, that, uh, but there was, you know, so I don't know. About it. it was, uh, I think that, you know, he, he grew up as a partially, so he had some vision um, through his, at least through into his middle teens. Um, and then he became a very, very, you know, he always said he became a very, very angry young man. Um, and, Knowing the energy level that Charlie had, I'm sure when that energy was turned toward anger, it was probably not a very good sight. Probably not. Was, yeah. And one time he I fell like all, uh, he fell in a manhole. A, a, a manhole cover was missing, and he fell. And that's why he uh, finally decided that he uh, he really might be blind and he might need to use a mobility cane. And then he hated the cane, and then he got a guide dog. Oh, he deserved to hate a cane. He was terrible with a terrible user. <laughs> I've never seen anyone so bad with a cane. <laughs> I ran into him one time on the street. It was literally we ran into each other with this thing flailing around. <laughs> but he was a great he was one of he was one of the best guide dog handlers I have Absolutely. ever known. 
Yeah. His first dog. I remember somebody said that Charlie never got angry. Well, I do remember a funny incident with Charlie. We were we were at that state NFB convention, actually, and we were having breakfast. They had breakfast. Uh, the rest, the restaurant for breakfast was set up around the indoor swimming pool. And his Patsy, she had a ringtail. She was a ringtail Australian Shepherd, I think, something like that. She looked like a German Shepherd to me at the time. I didn't know the difference in Shepherds then. And she wanted to go swimming. And boy, <laughs> there was no one in the pool area. And have you ever been in an indoor pool area, how every sound echoes? Mm -hmm. There was almost no one probably in the building that didn't know that Patsy wanted to go swimming. <laughs> and Charlie was absolutely, well, I think he was mortified and angry with her at the same time. It was not nice. He, I'm not sure who ended up yelling louder, him or Patsy over the, over the debate whether she was going to get to go in that pool. And he won, of course. <laughs> but, but boy, he could get quite angry when he needed oh, to. Yes. He could do that. <laughs> he was a great dog person. Oh my God, his dogs were so lucky to be there with yeah. Charlie. I mean, he just adored them. He made little songs. He wrote little composers yes. for each of yes. them. It was a Let's go song to the bus, Roosty. They still go through my head song, at some time. Yeah, when they oh, went yeah. out to get <laughs> Yeah. You guys mentioned um, Peggy and, and the work that he did around the domes. And I know at that year at convention, there was a protest that was planned. Can any of you can any of you tell us a little bit about what had happened out in California that year? That was in San Francisco. I it was before I was involved with ACB. I just knew about it. I was still pretending I wasn't a blind person by back then. So uh. <laughs> that was in the summer of '93, and um, there were a lot of very emotional things that took place at that convention. Another dear friend of Charlie's and ours um, was dying of cancer and his one determination uh, was to walk across the Golden Gate Bridge. And wow. I believe Charlie did it with him. I, we were not at the convention. There, were, there, was, there was a lot of um, argument against tactile warning strips, just like there was arguments against accessible pedestrian signals um that it was felt that that you know some people the leaders of some organizations felt that both both things made blind people look more helpless I, which i think was i mean i personally thought that it was exactly the reverse um and there was there was talk of one of the many demonstrations um, back in those days, there were demonstrations against ACB and AFB and um, what was that? Uh, NAC. Yeah. NAC, the National Accreditation Council and all that. There were lots of demonstrations that took back, place back then. But there was there was serious um, blowback there were lots on of not wanting tactile warning strips on subways. Yeah. Anthony, you do have some hands raised now. Sure. Let's let's take the next one. Pat, go ahead and unmute. 
I think I might be unmuted. You are. Thanks. Yeah, you're right. Uh, one of the big proponents of the truncated domes back then was Pat Beatty. And I remember uh, yes. he wanted us to get involved with, with that. And I remember, I think I was on the, uh, I was on the um, uh, Metro committee. I think it might've been a board meeting or something that everyone walked in. They had a, a car or something like that and walked into the middle of the Metro board meeting and sort of disrupted it. They had to get people's attention to be able to um, get these domes. And, and at, at that time, uh, they, uh, there was a lot of pushback against that. You're right, Terry. There was uh, pushback saying that, you know, if you put these domes in and, and, and even though we thought it would be a safety thing, people would, uh, NFB particularly was saying that the NFB would think that it was a, um, you know, make blind people look uh, incompetent. And with enough um, information and advocacy, you know, that whole issue was debunked. I, I just learned the other day that out of the 93 stations um, over the last, what was it, five, eight years ago, they completed all the stations in, in Washington, D.C., even the ones that didn't have to be done, a lot because they wanted uniformity and, and, uh, and uh, uniformity and uh, accessibility in all the stations. Charlie also did the same thing with lighting with respect to Lafon Plaza in Washington, D.C. Sue was having a real hard time navigating that particular station, and Charlie fussed about the lighting, and they have a good job of increasing the lighting uh, in, in the, in the uh, Washington, D.C. area. But you know, there were a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of things that came to play, uh, and I know that Charlie was very instrumental in making sure that things like the domes, the lighting, um, announcements on the trains, you know, access to transportation was just something that was done in a very sophisticated way. In, in uh, years ago, when we started with the um, accessible pedestrian signals, we had to take on the NFB who didn't want accessible pedestrian signals. Yeah. And who did they, Phil, I think you were involved in this. And oh, they, yeah, very big time. Yeah, who did they put in charge of the coalition to bring NFB headquarters and little ACB of Maryland together? Charlie Crawford. <laughs> came up with a plan for putting that together. He had his facts, his figures, his arguments, and all that. And Charlie ruled the day. And now we have APSs throughout the entire state because of Al Petrolongo and Charlie Crawford. And that's right. A, yeah, that's become a stay, uh, you know, part of the good part of the process of getting these things in nationwide. But, uh, you know, so Charlie was very instrumental. And you're right. He did it with class. He did it with humor. He, he had underlying all that tenacity. He had facts. And he, he actually did it be, through the force of his personality and also cultivating the relationships. That was very important Okay, um, you have someone with the last three, 505, please unmute. I am unmuted. It's Margie Donovan from California. Hi, Margie. Oh, hi, Margie. Hi. Charlie, my goodness. What a man, what a human, what a giver. What a compassionate soul. Absolutely. But I want to talk apart. 
where he could have made a difference, but unfortunately, the aneurysm prevented that. Charlie went to work for VA Blind Rehab as the very first non-veteran blind director. Um, and I'll tell you, there were so many of us in blind rehab, blind employees at all levels of the service excited about Charlie because we knew that Charlie was going to put us on the path that we needed to be put on and steer us away from a path of being directed. His boss would have been an audiologist who was temporarily directing blind rehab and things just went to hell in a handbasket. And then after Charlie's aneurysm, I tell you, there was many of us praying so hard because we knew what Charlie could do for VA blind rehab service. And unfortunately, his rehab and the VA didn't work out. And it was a missed opportunity in his life, a missed opportunity in veterans' life, and a missed opportunity in employees of the VA's life. He'd already put together committees in his short stint at the VA, and he included a lot of blind employees, which hadn't been done in the past. You know, we can work in blind rehab, but we're the token people, so to speak. And... Um, it was really a missed opportunity, and I'm still sad about that. And I know it wasn't Charlie's fault, but boy, what blind rehab is in the VA today could have been 100% different if Charlie had the opportunity to continue his employment and lead that ship. And um, I'll forgive him for having a stroke, uh, aneurysm, but boy, it was really hard when that happened. It was a big letdown. And I know the poor man, it wasn't his fault, and I'm glad that he was working for the VA. I'll you know, he may not have had those 10 or 11 extra years um, because of the VA doctors that recognized it and took care of him right away. Yeah. So Thank that's God. the beauty of a stint in the VA. And I just want to say, Charlie, rest in peace and know that you have made so many wonderful differences on this earth. And this world will never be the same again without you. That's Thank so you. Cool, Margie. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you, Margie. Margie. Sue? Uh, Sheila? <laughs> <laughs> it's a Sunday. <laughs> no, you have no other hands. <laughs> uh, tell me more about... Yes. I'm wondering... Um, I'm wondering, you know, <clears throat> one of the... One of the things... One of the groups that Charlie was, I'm, I'm shutting down my speaker again. Um, one of the groups that Charlie was quite instrumental and very, very supportive, supportive of um, was the formation of what was originally B-Flag. And I'm just wondering um, if you can give us a little bit on the his. if you know much of the history of that, if not, I know some of it, but. Well, I didn't know I, if anyone I, might be on the call who might want to comment on the work that uh, that we did on on uh, getting B flag as an as an affiliate. It was hard. You know, it, it's um I learned uh, quite a bit over this last year. This is the twentieth anniversary um, of BPI, which was B flag. Um, but I don't know much about Charlie's role. If you give me a moment, and if you talk amongst yourselves, I will ask um, one of the founding members and get right back to you guys. 
That's good. That's good because I know he did. He was, I remember him coming out of a meeting at one point in, uh, he was furious that I think there were like six people who were totally against the idea. Really? And he was just beside himself over it. Because uh, all of that took place when Paul was president and Charlie was executive director and I was in affiliate services. So, and Penny was, uh, letting everybody know through uh, the forum, and um, we all we all really wanted to see that come to pass, and you know, to to become an affiliate. And um, Charlie the, certainly worked hard <coughs> on that. He did. The forum really, really was a forum for that issue, because we ran opposing, uh, we ran columns by people. One person who was very, very much in opposition. And one was who was very much in favor. That was Rob Hill. And and the columns really spoke for themselves. Rob's column was so, so, so much Rob and, and, and made such a great case for the affiliate's existence. And the other column was just kind of bigotry described, you know, disguised as English language. Um, yeah. And the columns really spoke for themselves. And and that's really what the Braille Forum, that was the goal of the magazine at that point anyway, was to present uh, all sides of an issue and, and let people in ACB make up their mind. And fortunately, um, ACB made up made the right decision. Hey, Pat, I'm back. Pat, uh, Pat um, has his hand raised. Sure. Um, going back to Charlie and, and some of the stories, one of the stories, but I can't remember the entire story, I dealt with one of his guide dogs that I think he had to retire. I dealt one of the dogs that maybe didn't work out, and he had found that the dog was, I don't know, was, was not being kept well or whatever, and he rescued one of his guide dogs. Do you remember that story? I did not hear that when he uh, he told it at a Maryland State Convention, but it's one of the conventions that I missed. But apparently his dog, she didn't work out, and he discovered that um, she was in a shelter, and he rescued her and got her back. Yeah. Found her a good home. Yeah. As I recall, she was, he saw her. They had promised that they were going to take good care of the dog, and the dog was locked behind a fence or something like that. And then he found, and man, I think that was one of the times that I saw him at his angriest when you, when you know, the dog was, wasn't working out as a guide. He wanted to make sure the dog got a home. He was promised that. And they just didn't do it. And man, he got that dog back and made sure he got a good home. Um, he had such compassion for his animals. <coughs> All the dogs that Charlie had. I think my favorite was Mason. Me too. <laughs> no, I, uh, Rosie was my favorite. Plus, that was yeah. the first one they ever met. Um, you have a, you have another hand raised when Pat's done. So, okay. food or or ate what was it or something like that or whatever. Mason had her own personality and she was a interesting character. 
Sheila, we have another okay. hand. Yourself. Yes, Regina, you may unmute. Okay, uh, two questions. Can anybody tell me how old Mr. Crawford was? And since um, you played the tape the other day of Jonathan Mosen, had you tried to contact him, Terry? Uh, the first question is Charlie turned 73 this past August 28th. Um, I know Susan is hoping to have a celebration of his life on his on his birthday next year. We'll have more details on that somewhere in the future. I'm sorry, I didn't catch your second question. I think that Jonathan saw the announcement, which was circulated all over all kinds of blindness and AC. What is it? And he put together that wonderful tribute um, within hours because it aired the following day after Charlie had passed away. And it is a wonderful tribute. Oh, okay. So he, okay. All right. Okay. Somebody that has a phone number, 615, you may unmute. Area code 615. Hi. Hello. Um, yes, th this is Carol Francisco from Nashville. And um, I did not know Charlie very well, but I know one of the things he also was interested in that I, I wish hadn't fallen apart. There was a group in the 1980s that was called uh, International Friendly Circle, which was a bilingual group of Spanish speaking people. And I, I hope one of the things that ACB can continue perhaps to look at and it's perhaps starting out with the Spanish speaking group on the blind communities is is to work with some of our Spanish speaking blind people. I know we we met Charlie in uh, 04 in Pittsburgh where my husband was a first timer and they had a great talk of time talking about their lives in Puerto Rico. Um, but another thing that some of your older members can can also identify with, I, I know you remember this, Paul, when the AC, when the NFB was demonstrating in front of the airports all the time, and they wanted blind people to be able to sit in the exit rows. And um, my first husband and I, B. H. Newman and I, had uh, gone to the convention in Phoenix, and then we hung out with my parents for a while, and went to the airport to pick up our to get our plane back to Nashville, and. I wasn't using my cane because I was walking with the parents and my husband had enough sight to, to see where we were going. And um, all of a sudden we get paged at the airport and it turned out that uh, the airport people suddenly realized we were visually impaired and they had seated us in the exit row and they were all panicked, you know, but how are we going to tell these blind people that we don't want them to sit in the exit row? <laughs> um, my husband had to very calmly say, uh, no, we're in the other organization. I think I need a badge or a button on my coat that says, uh, we're the good guys. Don't worry about us. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's what I do have. But I, I do want to suggest that we work a little harder with our uh, Spanish-speaking blind people, because not all of them have good English like my husband has, and um, you know that might be a resource of more members in some of our larger Hispanic-populated uh, states. But uh, I know that was a, a concern that Charlie also had, so I thought I'd bring I, that up. Thank you. I Thank you. absolutely agree with you, and I remember meeting. I think it was. I think it was you. I'm quite certain it was your. Your name rings a bell to me. Uh, when I spoke at the Tennessee convention um, back in around that time. Oh, oh yes. And I'd forgotten because, about that. Yes. Yeah, because no, what, well, what I remember was um, us talking about 
putting the Braille Forum out in Spanish, which I have yes. always thought would be a great idea. And Charlie was so behind that. And yes, it was after Charlie had left, so it must be like 04 or 05 or something like that. Right. That we talked about it, and I brought it back to um, the president, and it just never went anywhere. And I always thought that was no. such a shame because th- you would, you folks had volunteered even to do the translation of it. Wow. Yeah, my husband I offered to. I don't think it's Spanish. I really hope that now. with this community call that you're doing now and um, – and where we're looking for so much more inclusion now, I'm hoping that that actually finally does take place. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think you'd be a great advocate for it. Absolutely, yeah. I <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's I, all I, I think we ought to have a talk one of these days, uh, Terry, with people like you and me uh, that attended conventions way back in the 70s because um, they were totally different. You know, the, the young people that can't imagine life without computers and their iPhones and and, and these kind of things. And how we, we thought my first convention was in Milwaukee in 71 because that's where I grew up. And um and, you know, we had like 400 blind people and I'd never seen that many blind people in one place and everybody thought it was so wonderful. So, yeah, I, I think sometimes people that are so frustrated and discouraged now need to kind of know where we came from. And I think I that think might be a topic. Gosh, I you should join really the ACB History Committee. <laughs> I'm sorry? You should join the ACB History Committee. And then well, um, let like me know you. about it and I could perhaps contribute. Yes. That would be wonderful. Well, you guys asked me a question, and what I can um, answer in the brief period that I had a chance to to uh, pop off is that um, I know Paul Edwards was obviously very instrumental, and um, apparently that there was some opposition and some people who raised some concerns about procedures not being properly followed, and Charlie was instrumental in providing support and the documentation that indeed in fact all of the um all of the requirements met were met (laughs) to affiliate and to to have a place at the table um and i wish i wish i could have gotten you guys some more information but i'm sure based upon what we're hearing today that he advocated strong for the affiliate and that's another thing that we can give thanks for cpi is a, a wonderfully strong and forward moving affiliate. And uh, thanks to everyone on this call because I know just about every one of you had uh, had some advocacy on BFLAG and, and, and now BPI's behalf. So thank you all. It was our pleasure and, and, and what we really felt was the right thing to do. That's the right thing Certainly. to do. Still is. Yep. And we all, and we really, really loved Rob Hill. <laughs> we love Rob Hill. Oh, my God. And you guys, when we have in-person convention, it's your suite. That's the most fun place to go. I'll tell everybody that. <laughs> well, I'll do a little bit of advertising. If anybody is planning on listening into Pennsylvania's convention, I believe it's next weekend. Um, Gabriel has been, Gabriel lopez Cafati, BPS president has been asked to helm another wine education event. And um, a lot of people have said that it was one of the best events of national convention. So check that out. It's going to be a lot of fun. I know he's planning some uh, some good stuff for you guys. So cool. check that out. 
That'll be cool. As a matter of fact, I want to talk to him about doing one of my visibility shows sometime soon. That would be great. A wine and cheese visibility. I like it. Yeah, wine and wine and seniors. Boy, do we get along well. <laughs> I am pretty sure he would absolutely love to say yes to that. And I loved um I loved our Florida president who is um helming the the hands and the uh the zoom for us today i loved her appearance um recently sheila my appearance in what <laughs> what what you, appearance <laughs> you were on another show blind and beyond recently i know oh. that was a, a lot oh. of fun as well so i'm just plugging things in the meantime to see if anybody else wants to call in and share a memory. So if you haven't had a chance to hear Sheila on Blind and Beyond, check that out as well. And when Sunday Edition comes up this week to podcasting, uh, she was on one of my very first shows talking about the Florida Council of the Blinds virtual convention. We had a lot of fun during that conversation. Yes, we did. And Sheila, I am very much looking forward to next Saturday, Family Feud. Yes, sir. <laughs> are we broadcasting that or is that just for fcb it's just fcb okay well penny frank terry claire you guys want to give us one more fun memory of charlie claire you've been quiet for a while tell us more about those dinner conversations um well it's kind of already been brought up but one of my favorite things um in the evenings was Charlie's songs. I mean, it wasn't just in the evening, it was all the time. But Charlie, um, <laughs> Sue and Charlie had a, a cat for many, many years. Perky. And in the evening, Perky, yeah, Perky, or Percules. Um, and uh, Charlie would sing a song to Perky every evening when they were taking their guide dogs out to relieve for the last time in the evening. They would give Perky some treats and Charlie would sing a song and Perky would meow back at him. So they would <laughs> sing together. And it's always my favorite thing in the evening. I can tell you that Charlie was, he was such a uh, dog owner. And when he had it, he told me the story when he had his first dogs, he didn't, it was not well known then that some dogs are very allergic to chocolate. And he used to put a uh, chocolate kiss in the bottom of the bowl so that when his guide dog ate all her food, she would find dessert at the bottom of the bowl. That's and I right, I that remember that so story. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course he learned that, that so chocolate, cute. he learned that chocolate is bad and he stopped doing that, but that was very sweet. <laughs> that is really cute. Frank, can yeah. you give us another memory? Can you hear me? Yeah. We sure can. Yeah, you're on. Oh, yeah, good, good, on. okay. Uh, yes, well, <clears throat> It's uh, been uh, remarked accurately, I'm, I know, uh, that Charlie was uh, wonderful to, to his dogs. Um, but he, uh, he, and he went further than that. He was also wonderful to his cats. And, uh, oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, talking I about Alex? Alex, yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness, yes. And I remember, <clears throat> I 
I just feel that if, if Terry and I ever wanted to get a cat, we should leave it with uh, with them, uh, with, with Charlie and Sue for six months because they just, uh, you know, the, they, they just really the cats were really great. There was yeah, there was Alex and uh, per, uh, Perky, right? Uh, great cats, and, and Charlie, uh, Charlie was just uh, great with, uh, with with all things. <laughs> <laughs> Way back yeah. when, Charlie had a Maine Coon cat named Mr. Christian. And then uh, Alex yes. and Perky and <laughs> Alex. Alex was a cool cat. Perky was like super cool, but Alex was an Alex was a sweet cat. Yes, Happened yes. to really like Frank. That's why Frank thinks of the cats. <laughs> Perky came to live with, adopted them. Even though they had two giant guide dogs, he was such a great <laughs> cat. And he talked. He was the kind of kitty that talks all the time. He was a really wonderful guy. They lost him this summer, I think, in, in late July, or maybe maybe it was late June. Uh, but but he lived a really happy, long life with them. He was a great kitty. Perky was the boss, too, even when I lived with them. So we had three full-grown Labradors. Perky was the boss of all three Labradors. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll give you a, fun, a cute story, a, a story about one of my fun memories of Charlie was he and I had been out to a conference and we were coming and things had just not gone well at this convention. Um, it might have been that state NFB one. I don't remember now where it was, but we were taking a bus back and we had to change buses and we had like a two hour layover and we had had about, oh, I don't know. We probably had slept about four hours each night or something like that. Um, and we were just totally exhausted coming back. And he just got, it, it must have been that NFB one because it was, the whole words had something to do with Ken Jernigan. He just started ad-libbing songs. Well, this was real popular. I don't know how many of you remember, but Marlena Lieberg was absolutely phenomenal at doing this. And Charlie <laughs> ran a real close second to Marlena and he started this whole thing. And he had me, I was on the, on the ground at the bus station with him laughing, singing, my name, it is Kenny, and I come from the West. And he went on and on and on with this whole God on our side. Absolutely hysterical. Just coming up right off the top of his head in total exhaustion. And, you know, and he would do that kind of thing. You know, he would just, whatever came into his head, that's what he had fun with. Yep. Oh, and, and he'd always make a song. He was always making up little songs and he was he was so good at it. He was. He was good at it. You know, little rhymes or whatever yeah. it might be. Well, and he knew so much about music, too. He loved rock and roll. I, I know in the last days of his life, Sue just kept the oldies playing in the background so that he would be able to hear them. And uh, if, you, if he was visiting our house and we had on some really old rock and roll music or some really old folk music, I mean, he would be singing along. He knew every word to every song. I had there was already. one convention. Um, I think it was the convention we had in, um, in 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 Knoxville in '86, where, and I think it was Charlie who did this to, to, to freak people out. They were paging Kenneth Jernigan over the loudspeakers, and there were people who thought he was there. <laughs> I had already put the show together when I saw the notice about Bob. But if any of you would like to say a few words about Bob as well, that would be beautiful. 
Oh, I loved I Bob. Loved I met Bob, Bob at the first legislative seminar I went to. Uh, we were riding a bus somewhere, and he told me, I mean, that conversation lasted. Penny? We lost her. I think we lost Somebody speak to me. Can you hear me now? I Hello? Can. Yes. So, uh, when I first met Bob, we were we were at a legislative seminar and we were riding a bus to someplace. I think we were all going out to dinner as a group, and the whole conversation that we had, uh, Bob was telling me how much he loved his wife Donna, and uh, and I talked to Bob over the years, and every time he's told me a Donna story, they were very close, and he was a, and it was a wonderful marriage, I'm sure, a wonderful relationship, and that was a nice story, and Bob worked. Maybe five years, maybe a little bit longer. He's been the moderator of APBL and uh, um, um, an ad hoc member of the Water Publication. And that's hard work, you know, keeping track of email every day, all day, and all night. And he did a great job. And he was very easy to work with. Um, and he always uh, shared the statistics about the email list with the Water Publications every meeting we had. Um, um, we're all going to miss him very much. Thank you, Penny. That's true. Somebody wanted to speak while Penny, before Penny spoke. You don't have any hands raised. Okay. I knew, we knew Bob. Um, I didn't know Bob when we lived in Massachusetts, but uh, not too long after I came down here. And... Bob was very, Bob was always very, very supportive of people. And he was a very, very um, prolific emailer when on all kinds of advocacy issues. And uh, he was extremely supportive of Charlie and of all of us when things were, were so difficult back in 03, 04 in that period. And since then, he's just continued, he has continued on and He's just done his very best um, for people in Massachusetts and around the country in advocating. And he's, he, he is also quite a big loss to the blindness community. Anthony, you do have a hand now. Okay. Pat, go ahead. Thank you, Sheila. I appreciate that. One of the things that impressed me about Bob was that he, when he wrote, particularly on the list, he was always a champion of the sort of the downtrodden, those folks that didn't have um, that that you know that didn't have uh, as much going for them, perhaps that that needed to have a voice. He would uh, situations in which were being uh, were being uh, um, you know uh, listened to. And so I, I always felt that he was, you know, the voice of those who didn't have a, um, the voice for those who didn't have a voice. And I always thought he was fair and well-reasoned and, you know, he always added to the conversation. I had a lot of respect for him. I didn't know him personally, but just through his writing and what he had to say and how he had to say it, I felt that he had, um, you know, he, he had the, the, the voices of a lot of people, um, in his words, particularly on the list. He was a passionate believer in free speech. Really, I mean, 
if he didn't, even if, if he didn't agree with you, you still had every right to say what you thought. And he was, uh, I mean, of course, he expected people to be civil, but um, you didn't have to agree with Bob to be Bob's friend or to have him stick up for you. Absolutely. Gil, is there anyone else? No, sir. Not right now. <laughs> and you've got All about right. four minutes. I do. So I would like to reiterate something I said at the top of the show. September is Guide Dog Month and ACB Voices, the blog, which has some really great material on it, also has some really fun guide dog stories, but we'd love to hear more, whether it be a cute picture or if you've got a great video or you want to take pen to paper, so to speak, or fingers to keys. Please send in some great stuff about your guide dogs, past or present, or you can even send us something in the voice of your guide dog. Talk about mm -hmm. we'd love. And uh, the best submissions, Deb Cook-Lewis has uh, promised to feature the best of the submissions on the next general report. So that should be a lot of fun. And if you haven't checked it out, it is at acbvoices.org. Please sign up and enjoy all the wonderful submissions. There's some great stuff um, from members about collecting, about advocacy experiences. Claire's got some articles up there about what she and Clark are working on. So check that out as well. Um, I'll remind everybody again one more time that Paul Edwards is also going to do a tribute on Tuesday topics to Charlie. So I hope everybody here will be there. And um, I'm gonna give everybody an opportunity to give a final thought and we'll go from Terry to Claire. Terry? I think we're all gonna miss Charlie. I know we all miss Charlie already. Um, somebody that did so much good for so many people. There was, you know, I often think I don't know how many hundreds of times we would um, be going home together on the t on the metro, <laughs> and there was often a panhandler up at the top of the station. And I don't ever remember Charlie ever walking by without giving them giving him or her a couple of dollars. Um, and that's just the way it was. He just always reached out to whoever whoever was in need of anything. Charlie wanted to help. And Charlie wanted to advocate for in whatever way he needed to. And he did one heck of a good job for so many of us through the years. And I guess I just want to say thanks, Char. Yeah. Frank? Hi. Um, yeah, I, uh, I certainly... Uh, uh, share uh, uh, what Terry said, and, um, and and it's it's been you know it's been such an honor to to have been uh, so uh, to have known Charlie for so long, to have been a, a good friend, and uh, he's he's just he's of course going to be so missed, but we've. Uh, it's an experience knowing somebody of, of the quality of Charlie, the decency, the the commitment to 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 try to accomplish, to do the best for everyone, and and, and help them to to do um, to to have what they need. Uh, he's just it's just been a, a great honor, and uh, we should 
we're very happy that we that we've had that privilege. Thank Anthony, you, Claire. You are about out of town time, dear. Yeah, Claire, Penny, Terry, Frank. Thank you so much for memorializing Chai with, with us and everybody who called in. Thank you so much for your stories. I'll be back again next Sunday. And everybody have a beautiful week. Rest in peace, Charlie. And our love goes out to Sue. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Sunday Edition with Anthony on ACB Radio Mainstream. For more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email celebration. AC. That's the word celebration with the letters AC at AOL.com. Look forward to hearing from you and let's brunch again next Sunday.